Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. Okay, so uh, we've been going through the parables of Jesus. Last week, Daniel preached on uh, the parable of the rock in the sand, like, right, who, who builds his house on a rock. It's the one who hears the words of Jesus and puts them in their life, who lives and bases their life on the word of God. And so we talked about this idea that we all need to be getting into the word and founding our lives and our hearts and our minds upon the word. And then this morning, I kind of wrestled, I wrestled back and forth on what we wanted to do. I was thinking, you know, where I wanted to go was is a parable in Matthew chapter 25 talking about the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And then so I'm like debating and debating, but then I realized and God reminded me that anytime that we celebrate the first advent of Christ, it should always cause us to celebrate the second advent of Christ. Anytime we're looking backwards and saying that Jesus came and he fulfilled over 300 prophecies when he came, it should cause us to be excited because Jesus, there's so many more prophecies that Jesus has yet to fulfill in his second coming of Christ. Like that, that should pump us up and it should cause us, I pray that as you're thinking and focusing on Jesus this, this week and Christmas, thinking about, you know, dear baby Jesus, right, this baby in a manger, that we know that yes, that was his first advent. He came as a humble baby, but the second time he comes, when he comes again, Again, it's not going to be a humble baby. He's coming in all glory, all power, riding in, and, and, and he is coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? So that should cause us to look forward. So, that, so you know what? We're going to continue with the parable, and we're going to continue with where I had planned. I just didn't think about it being Christmas, because I think it goes right perfectly with this season of Advent. Matthew chapter 25 is the parable we're going to spend our time in. It's the parable of the ten virgins. Okay, the 10 virgins. This is the Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. This is the New King James Version, if, you have, if you're following along. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for your lamps are going out. But the wise answered, said, No, lest we, there should not be enough for us too and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. After, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, 
for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Okay, so we're going to break this apart, but real quick, this is set in a kind of early, early Jewish, early century Jew wedding kind of traditions. Basically, uh, when you had a wedding at this time, this was a celebration of the entire village. Like you didn't have like, oh, you know, who, oh, there's a wedding per se. I wonder who's getting married. No, like everybody in the village knew and everybody in the village was a participant, was a guest. This was a party, y'all. And so it started with three different phases. There's three phases in the wedding. There's the first phase, which is the engagement period. Now, this is when, this is unlike ours, like the, the husband and bride have no say-so in this. This is the fathers, okay? The fathers get to choose who you marry. And then the, the, the betrothal period, this was the second phase. Now, what happens is they would do the covenant. They would do the exchanging of vows. They would actually legally be married. Now, they're legally married, but they don't consummate the marriage, and they don't live together here. But in order to, do, to separate, you have to get a certificate of divorce here. So you're married, but you're not living together. You haven't consummated the marriage. You were just married by law. And so what would happen is the groom would go off to his father's estate, and he would prepare the finances. He would get his, the work in order. He'd take over his father's business. He would actually add on to the father's house a room so that they could now live in the family, the father's house. This is why Jesus says, hey, I go and prepare a place for you. If it was not so, I would not say, but I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you, right? Jesus, our bridegroom, is going to the father's house to prepare a place for his bride. Does that make sense? So that's what the groom does. And then once the betrothal period, this could last up to a year or so, the betrothal period is over. The groom now is done. He's ready. He takes his, his groomsmen and they go, this procession, they go to the bride's house with the bridesmaids and they take them with their, their torches and they walk down at midnight. They, they come in the middle of the night. They walk down and everybody's like, okay, it's time. It's party. It's party time. And we're going to go to the house and we are going to party for up to seven days. Imagine a seven day party festival for every wedding that's in the village. This is what was taking place. This was awesome. I mean, they, they celebrated and they celebrated and they celebrated. That last part, the wedding feast, is the period that Jesus is addressing here when he's talking about this parable. It is time for the wedding feast. It is time for the celebration. It is time for the groom to come get his bride. And so with that in mind, let's read it again. Let's take it separate it because it's going to be the bridesmaids, one through five, and then six through 12 is going to be the groom. And then chapter uh, verse 13 is going to be a warning that we need to take heed to. But let's do it again. One through five. And the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But those who were wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and fell asleep. Okay, so this is a very simple message. This is talking about the second coming of Jesus, okay? Very simple. Now, once again, when we read parables, this is not like we're reading doctrine as far as like breaking down epistles and getting what does every little word mean. That's how we get false doctrines. That's how we get kind of confused with certain parables. Don't, you know, remember last couple weeks ago, I, I brought out the nursery rhyme. Okay, don't make me do, you know, another nursery rhyme. We're not looking to, it's very simple parable. Jesus is saying, you have the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. You have the virgins. Who are the virgins? Us, professing believers. Then you have the torches. Now the torches are, represent the profession, okay? So, the, so don't miss this. The torches represent the profession of the believers, while the oil represents the, whether or not it's genuine. 
that make sense? So you have the, the 10 professing believers. The, the torches are representing their profession of faith. And then the oil represents the, the genuineness of their profession. And Jesus says, okay, so they have these bridesmaids. Five of them bring torches without oil. So there's five people who have torches. Now, a torch without oil is useless. It doesn't do anything. It's a club. I mean, I could beat somebody over their head with it, but that's kind of out of context here. Like, who are you, who are you hitting with it? Like, you just have this stick, okay? You have a stick, and he's saying, like, the, the, the torch without oil is pointless, just as a Christian or a believer or a religion of Christ is useless without true transformation, without grace, without true redemption. It reminds me of the story in Matthew chapter 22. Remember in Matthew 22, where Jesus says that there's a king who has a, a party for his son, a marriage, a wedding feast? And he sends out an invitation to everybody, whether rich or poor, wise or smart, doesn't matter. Everybody, there's no distinction. Everybody gets an invitation. And he says, the only stipulation, the only requirement is that you have to come to the wedding feast dressed in the clothes that I provide for you. And so they, they send them out. Everybody dresses in the king's garments that he provides except for one dude. One guy shows up in his own garments. And he's like, you can't get out of here. And then they're like, you, know, you can't come in here. You can't come to the king dressed like that. Get out of here. And the whole story is representing, look, everybody is invited to the kingdom, but you have to wear the grace of Jesus Christ. You have to wear the garment, the clothes that God provides. Everybody's welcome. So if you show up to the wedding feast dressed in your righteousness, dressed in your works, dressed in your abilities, dressed and say, Jesus, but I did this for you. He's going to say, you dress wrong. You're in the wrong outfit. You're, 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 you're too dressed down for this attire. Go back home, you foolish, you foolish servant. I don't know you. And that's the same here. Is there going to be five, five foolish virgins? Now, the reason we say they're virgins, because the bridesmaids of this time, you had to choose young women who were unmarried. Okay? So they're virgins, bridesmaids are the same person, same thing. So you have 10 virgins or 10 bridesmaids. And so you have five bridesmaids that are coming unprepared, not without the grace of Jesus Christ, and it's exposed here. Guys, this seems to be over and over again, Jesus keeps, keeps warning us of this, over and over again. He talks about how we're all going to be kind of raised up in the same room. There's going to be weed and tear. He says there's going to be good soil and there's going to be bad soil. And now they're both going to grow crops. But then over time, we're going to see who's going to produce fruit. He says there's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats. We're going to live together. And then all of a sudden, he's going to separate it. Here again, there's going to be the foolish and there's going to be the wise. This is how it's going to be. Right now in this room, in every church, in every building in the entire world, there's a group, there's a group of body of, of professing believers, some of which even maybe even in this room, some of which are the tares, some are the wheat, some are the wise and some are the foolish. Some are the religious coming to church and basing their life entirely on their own abilities, on their own works, on their own righteousness, that, that I don't want to surrender my life to Jesus. It's not about Jesus. So, you're entire, so this is a repeating occurrence over Jesus' parables that there's going to be two types of people. And he says, the wise have oil, the, 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 the foolish don't. He says, but then the, the, the groom was delayed. Now, Hear this, Jesus is never delayed. A lot of times, how many of us feel like, man, why is Jesus not coming back? Like, have you guys wondered, like, what else is left? Like, I'm looking around the world, and I'm like, Jesus, uh, you're late, okay? 
you were about 20 years late. Uh, uh, but, and the truth is, is it says the, the, the groom was delayed. Now listen, Jesus is never late. He is on time. He is ready. It's, it's his. And thank God, because if Jesus came a year, 100 years ago, guess what? I want to be here. You want to be here. If Jesus showed up 10, 20 years ago, I want to be here. I want to not be saved. If Jesus showed up 10 years ago, some of y'all were like, by the grace of God, Jesus did not show up 10 years ago. Jesus did not show up three years ago by the grace of God, because if he did, I would not be going to eternity. So Jesus is not late. It's by his grace. It's by his mercy. It's by his patience. And it's on time. But I want you to notice something real quick. It says that they all fell asleep. The wise and the foolish fell asleep. Now, it doesn't indicate, there's nothing in here that indicates falling asleep is bad. This is everybody falls asleep here, right? So what I kind of walk away with this as I'm studying this is this, this is one of two things. Number one, the, the wise had a security in their salvation, right? They fell asleep. And so when, when the bridegroom comes, he just says, hey, the bridegroom's coming. They wake up. Okay, let's go. I'm ready. I'm not, I don't need to scurry. I don't need to do anything. I'm ready. I've got, I am ready. I have everything prepared. But then there was a false sense of security by the other people, by the other bridesmaids that when the bridegroom comes, they were sleeping. They should not have been sleeping. They should have been going to get the oil. They should have been preparing. And I believe the same thing is going to happen when, when the bridegroom comes here is there's going to be this skirting, but also I also think that it could be this, is that look, we're not meant to go up on the mountain and be, be praying and meditating, waiting for the Lord's coming. You see what I'm saying? Like, we're not meant to be, hey guys, let's go up on the mountain and wait for Jesus' coming. You know, let's do that. And let's ignore, no, we're meant to live our lives. We're meant to pay the bills. We're meant to work. We're meant to pay, take care of our kids. We're meant to, to be in community. We're meant to do these things. But while we are doing things, we're not doing them as the world does them. We are prepared and ready at all times for the coming of the Messiah. Amen? Okay, so now you have the, the Messiah coming, the bridegroom coming, and he says this. It says, and at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for the lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us too and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they, were, they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. After the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open up. But he answered, surely I do not know you. Okay, so the bridegroom comes at midnight. Now, what's interesting about this is that Exodus 12, I think it is, it says that the Egyptians, the, the Israelites left Egypt to go out of slavery at midnight. A lot of the rabbis believed that when the Messiah comes, he's coming at midnight. And so they, they believe that. And so it's very interesting that Jesus says that the, 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 the bridegroom, he's kind of affirming this doctrine that the bridegroom's coming at midnight. So. He comes at midnight, and, and, and he shows up, and all of the bridesmaids wake up. And it says that five of them were ready. Five of them had it. Five of them were going. But the other five, the other five were freaking out. They're like, wait, wait, wait. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. How, can, they go to the other, can you give me some of your oil? Like, we don't have enough. We thought he was coming earlier. And they're like, you can't take ours because we won't have enough. And so they go, go by, and the bridegroom comes. And guys, this is what I really do believe it's going to be like. 
I really do believe it's going to be like, in fact, I, when I was like 16, and this is part of the journey of God, like leading me in this. When I was 16, I had a dream of the time that Jesus will come back. And it was this vivid dream of this frantic, when he showed up, there's many, including myself, that were frantically, like I, I thought I had more time. And there was all kinds of like, you could, just the, the sorrows and the screaming and the wailing. And, and, but Jesus is going to come back and many people are going to be like, but I'm only 20. I thought I had like 60 years left. I thought I had more time for Jesus. I, th- I thought I hadn't, I, you know, I was kind of just doing my own thing. I was going to wait till I got older and sin wasn't as tempting, you know, because when I'm 60 and 70, sin doesn't become as tempting, right? Sin, sin is less, less tempting as you get older. Is that the truth? That's what I hear. <laughs> but that's unfortunately, young people think that. It's like, well, I'm going to enjoy life now. And then when I get older, it's not going to be as fun. It's not going to be as tempting. Guys, no sin is just as tempting. This world is just as tempting. And but we had this, Jesus is going to come back. I thought I had more time. I thought I could do it. And there's going to be frantic. At that moment, it's, it's too late. It's over. It's done. And there's going to be so many. And, and they go to the bridesmaids and they say, we can't. Now, this is an idea that, look, there's no transferring of, of faith. Like, you know, the, 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 the mom and the dad can't transfer faith onto your children. I can't transfer as a pastor, transfer faith onto you guys, my, the people that God has entrusted me with, your friends. You cannot sit in here in this room and somehow gain the faith of the believers around you because you, are a, you go to the church, you go to the potlucks, you do all the things, you do the good works. You're not somehow sucking in the faith of everybody around you. It is a personal commitment that my life is done and it's Jesus I want to live for, that he is my king, he is my Lord, he is my savior. But see, Paul, he reiterates this, and I think it's Romans 9 it is, when, when Paul says, look, talking to the Jewish believers, he says, man, you guys, if I could, and the Holy Spirit is testimony, the Holy Spirit testifies that if I could, I myself would be accursed if it meant that you guys would become saved. Paul says, I would, if it meant that you guys, if I could give up my salvation and go to hell, that y'all would be saved, I would. Paul says that. Like, honestly, think about that. Like, that's this idea. And Paul says, no, if I could, I would, but I can't. Because that's not how it works. It is a personal relationship. It is a personal decision. And when Jesus comes, there's no more opportunity. You see, the wheat at the end, this is talking about the exposing. The wheat and the tear will be exposed. The sheep and the goats will be exposed. The, the path, the soils, the good and the rocky soil will be exposed. The wise and the foolish virgins, they will be exposed. You see, no more will you be able to sit in the assembly of the righteous, as Psalms 1 says, right? Daniel read Psalms 1 last week. It says that the, right, the wicked will not sit in the assembly of the righteous. Right now, the assembly of the righteous are the, the people who are believers. Not because We're not righteous because we do a righteous thing. We're righteous by the blood of Christ. Christ, but we are the assembly of the righteous, and there are right now people who are just kind of sitting in the assembly of the righteous, and yet have committed and have not committed their life to Jesus, and they have made themselves righteous by the blood of the Lamb. And in the end, all of this will be exposed. No more will you be able to hide. No more you will be found unfaithful. You'll be found not pre- preparing. Not you're found without oil. And so then Jesus finishes with this warning. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor hour which the Son of Man is coming. Okay, I want to go back to Christmas real quick. Now, when Jesus comes the first time, many people missed it. 
Many people didn't see Jesus coming the first time. And, and it's because that it almost seems like by the time Jesus got on the scene, I don't have time to go into the history of Israel, but pagan king after pagan king, ruler after pagan ruler, they were oppressed and they're waiting for the Messiah. They thought Judas Maccabeus was going to be the Messiah. They actually worshiped Judas Maccabeus. They actually waved palm branches and shouted Hosanna as he's walking into Jerusalem because he, they thought he was the guy. This is the guy who did the Hanukkah, right? They thought this was the Messiah, but then he died and, and, and nothing happened. They're like, okay, we messed it. But over the years, they're like, okay, the Messiah is delayed. He's not coming. We're going to be just oppressed. And they kind of got complacent. And so then when Jesus comes on the scene, they weren't searching. They weren't longing. They weren't ready. They weren't looking for the signs. They weren't studying scripture, waiting for the Messiah, knowing what the word of God says. They were just sitting there going about their day, doing their religious duties, going every day, monotony, 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 complacency, just living in the world, waiting for this Messiah to come, but not really waiting, not longing, not looking, not searching. All except for a man by the name of Simeon. Do y'all remember Simeon? This is the guy that's in the, in the priest, he's in the temple. And, and, and that, in those days that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, taken to the temple, Simeon, he heard from God. God told him, hey, you're, before you die, you're going to get to see the Messiah. And so Simeon's waiting for the Messiah. He knows the prophecies. He knows where the Messiah is coming out of. He knows the word of God. He's longing. He's looking. And so he knows that the Messiah is going to come as a Jew because Genesis chapter, was it 12 or 2,000 years ago, God says that there's going to, Abraham, you're going to have a descendant who's going to bless many nations, right? He knows that 2,000 years ago, God promised to Israel through to Judah, through Judah, the Messiah was going to come. So he's going to come through the tribe of Judah. He knew 1,000 years ago that the Messiah was going to come through David because the prophet, because David got the prophecy. He knew that 700 years ago that the Messiah was going to be born from a virgin because God prophesied that he was going to be born through a virgin through Isaiah. He knew that 600 years ago the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem because 600 years ago God prophesied through Micah that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. So Simeon is longing and waiting and searching and knowing the prophecies, knowing the signs. And so when Jesus shows up, Simeon stops and he prays and rejoices that God let me see the Messiah before I die. It's a beautiful story. Read it in Luke chapter 2 of the story of Simeon. But he got to see the Messiah before he died. He was waiting. He was longing. Now look at many of the other Jews, though, missed it. And the same is going to be when the coming of Christ happens again. When Jesus comes again, many are going to miss. Many Now, not miss in the sense they're not going to see it. They're going to see it, but they're not going to be ready for him. They're not longing for him. They're not waiting for him. And here, it is more consequential in the second coming of Jesus than the first coming of Jesus, because in the first coming of Jesus, the same voices that said crucify him, they had an opportunity later on to be saved. But here, this is it. They're done. They missed it. Now, so Jesus says at the end of this section of this parable, he says, nobody knows the day or the hour, right? Now, this bothers me. This is really, this, this, this phrase bothers me because what's the whole point here? What's the point of this parable? Be ready, right? Be ready, be ready, be ready. And then he says, nobody knows the day or the hour before he comes. And so what happens is Jesus is saying, because nobody knows the day or the hour, always be ready. We take that verse and what do we, what do, we do with it? Well, nobody knows the day or the hour Jesus is coming, so I don't really focus on prophecy. 
I don't really care about the signs. I'm not really looking for Jesus because nobody really knows. Right? We take the same verse that Jesus uses to warn us to be ready and we use it to become complacent. Isn't that crazy how Satan works? He takes the word of God and he twists it and he make, he makes it, he, we use it now for complacency. The same thing, oh man, I could go on a tangent. He does the same thing with Philippians 4.13. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, that verse is about we have everything we need in Christ, all we need in Christ. And then we use that verse that in Christ we can get more things. No, the whole verse is about contentment in Jesus Christ. But anyways, I digress. But so here Jesus is saying, be ready all times. And if you go back to the end, go back to Matthew chapter 24, what we're going to see is just, just before this parable, Jesus is going to say, before I come, there are things that you need to be looking out for. You don't know when I'm coming, but I want you to be ready and prepared. In fact, the disciples, they asked this question in the beginning of Matthew, uh, 20, uh, uh, Matthew 24, go back to that chapter, they say, what will it be, that be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age. So the disciples are asking, they're saying, Jesus, I want to know, I want to have a Simeon heart. When are you coming? I want to be on the lookout. I want to be ready. What do I need to look out for? Where are the signs? What's, what's going to happen? And Jesus gives him all the signs, them all the signs. And then he says, but do not, you do not know the time or the hour, but be ready. Now listen, you don't know, need to know the time or the hour. You just need to know the sign. It's like this. I have no clue when Valentine's Day is no clue. And it doesn't matter. Y'all can tell me, like, I know it's in February, right? Like, I've been told February 14th my entire life, and it doesn't stick. I know my wife's birthday. I know my anniversary. I know all my children's birthday. I know 4th of July. I know um, <laughs> Christmas. I know a lot of other dates, okay? But for some reason, Valentine's Day doesn't compute. It's like, I always get 13, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there, seven, you know, but here's the thing, I don't need to know because I've got Walmart. I mean, you walk into Walmart and they will let you know what you need to know, right? They saved my marriage many times, okay? Like you walk into Walmart, you see a big fat baby shooting an arrow at something with hearts and flowers, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up and that kind of causes me to, to think about it and, and oh, I need, need to get flowers and that are going to die in a week that nobody cares about. But it's some reason it's overly priced flowers are the sentiment of the season, uh, but we're going to do with it. Uh, but, you know, you walk in and you see a little leprechaun, you know, with four-leaf clovers, you know, it's St. Patrick's Day. You walk in, there's a bunch of Christmas stuff, you know, it's like July, um, you know, but it's... <laughs> Like, so you walk into Walmart, and Walmart will let you know. You know the sign. It gives you the signs. You don't need to know the exact time or day. You just know, okay, the signs are showing up. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to give you the signs. I'm going to let you be ready. I'm going to let you be the ten virgins wrapped in my grace and prepared and ready and looking for when I come. He says, here are the signs. Now, when he gives the signs, he's going to start with giving the sign of the temple. The temple is going to fall, and it does in 70 AD. Jesus prophesied this. But then the disciples ask, when is that thing going to happen? And then they ask, when, what are the signs of your coming? A lot of people say, well, Jesus is talking about the same event. No, he's not. There's three questions the disciples are asking here. When, when is the temple going to fall? What's the signs of your coming? And when is the end of the age? And Jesus spends the majority talking about the signs of his coming. And he uses the quote, the, 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 the analogy of birthing pains. I don't know how many women have been through birth. I hear it's hard, okay? Um, 
you, you start off with, you know, mild, like, you know, what was that? A gas? Is that, you know, is that a, is that a, you know, and then it gets a little more intense and then, okay, that's, that's a real one. And that's a real, now she doesn't hate you yet, but she's getting there. And so it's starting to be more painful. And then the last time, the last, the last time, the last, right before the baby comes out, she is yelling at you. I hate you and your mother. And, and she's screaming and, and, and just going, the, the, the pain is there. It's ready for the baby to come out. And that's the way that Jesus uses this analogy that it's going to be like labor pains. And Paul says the same thing in, in, in first Thessalonians. He says this, he says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord has come, and it comes as a thief in the night. He says, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, this is interesting. This is a side note. I, wanted, I thought this was fun. Um, I always get excited about this stuff, uh, but I read that verse when they say peace and safety, when they talk about peace and safety, peace and safety. Have you guys seen the new UN peace and security, peace and safety statue? Okay, let me read. This came in, this, this is this year, this, this, they put this up at the UN. This is their peace and safety statue. Um, let me read uh, Revelation 13. It says, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and he's at the feet of a bear. And he's got a mouth like a lion. And in Daniel's prophecy, it says he's got the wings of an eagle. It says the dragon gave his power and his throne and the great authority. Now, this is it's just a coincidence. Okay, guys, so don't worry about it. It's just a coincidence. But Jesus is going to go, and he's going to give us signs, and he's going to say, look, there are the first phase, the first like part of this labor pain. There's three phases. He says, we're going to see... Uh, and this is in Matthew 24. You can follow along, but in Ma- we're not going to read it. But Matthew 24, 4 through 8, we're going to see deception by false Christ, wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes. These things are going to start to increase. You know, he says that there's going to be people, false Christ that are going to come. So which we see is an increase in false Christ. In the 17th or 18th century, we saw two. In the 19th century, we saw seven. In our lifetime, we have seen 36 people claiming to be Jesus. Some of them we know, you know, pretty popular. They're the Charles Mansons, Jim Jones, right? Sung Young Moon or Jose Luis de Jesus or, or um, even David Koresh. But there's other ones that you haven't seen like, like Sergei Toro. He's Russian. Sergei Tor, he, he, he used to be a traffic cop, and then one day he said, no, I don't think that. I think I'm, I think I'm Jesus. And so he, he, now that's what he does. That's his gig. He, he's Jesus, okay? Niet, all right? No. But then we have this couple. This is uh, A.J. Miller and uh, Mary Luck. This is, they believe that he is Mar- Jesus, and she is Mary Magdalene, and they are married, and they live in Australia, you know? <laughs> Nothing screams Jesus like an Australian accent, but they... He used, to be, he used to be an elder at the Jehovah's Witness temple. He used to be an elder of the Jehovah's Witness. And so he thought, okay, that's not enough heresy. Let's keep going, and I'm going to be Jesus. Um, so there's, they're, they're increasing. Like I said, went from two to seven to now 36 in our lifetime, people claiming to be Jesus and having followers. Many people are following these people. And they're starting their own movements. But then we also see wars and rumors of wars. We see the, the idea, like, you know, in fact, um, right now, Ethiopia, Libya, um, Africa, Israel, Iran. In fact, Israel and Iran, um, last night, I, I couldn't sleep. I slept actually all, all night. I had this, this dream. And every time I'd wake up, 
I'm like, God, I don't know what you're trying to say to me. And I go back. The dream was I'm standing at the base of the, uh, Israel. And I'm looking up. And you know how Israel has what is the Iron Dome? Their, their, their war system that's protecting them. And I'm looking up and I see this, this force field around Israel. And there's this shield protecting Israel. And then over here, I'm looking at the, 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 the war, the enemy of our, Iran coming against Israel and starting this war. And then I, I, I get taken into the war room of the Iranians. And the Iranians see a weakness in the force field of, the, of, of Israel. And so they are getting ready to, in my dream, they were getting ready to nuke and to go after, to, to make the wage war. And I believe when I woke up, it was the Ezekiel war, to, to wage war against the nation of Israel through a weakness that they have found, that they have spotted in their Iron Dome. So we'll see. Uh, but that was all night. I'm like, God, what, I, what did I eat? Uh, but all night, that was, that was what God was speaking to me. And I really believe we're, go, we're about to see a major war, the Ezekiel War, happening in our lifetime. But the war is in the world.com. It says there are 851 conflicts in 70 countries today. Then there's going to be famine. Famine. Now, a famine, the new Oxfam report said that as, as many as 11 people are likely dying of hunger each minute. There is, this, is, this is higher than, obviously, the global death rate of COVID. The report, um, in a report called The Hunger Virus Multiplies, says that the conflict remains the, prim- conflict remains the primary cause of hunger since the pandemic, pushing over a half a million into famine-like conditions, a six-fold increase since 2020. Overall, 155 million people around the world are now living in crisis level of food and insecurities or worse. That's 20 million more than last year. You know, if you, if you read Revelations, you see the, the four horsemen. You see the conquest, the one of conquest. Then you see the one of famine and the one of pestilence, which is the next one. I don't know if you guys heard, but we've got a, a pandemic. Right, not just the pandemic though. We have the mutations, the variants. We have antibiotic uh, resistance because of all the antibodies we are pushing on each other. We see MRSA. We see things like staph and or cancer. We see HIV. All of these things that we're seeing in our lifetime and increasing. I don't know if you you've read any studies, but we're seeing more and more and more and more people dying and getting cancer every year. Earthquakes. The U.S. Global. Our geological survey says that on their website that the earthquakes are rising. 20,000 earthquakes are happening every year. Most of them are small, but since, 19, uh, since we started uh, actually registering earthquakes in 1900, we have seen on average 16 major earthquakes. But just in these past couple of years, we've seen 24 in a year. So we're seeing earthquakes rise. Okay, So that's phase one. That's what we should expect to see. I don't know if you've seen it, but I have, okay? And then phase two is in Matthew 9, 14. He says, persecution of Christians, apostasy, betrayal and hatred, increase of deception by false prophets, increase of wickedness, deceased love, or decreased love, spreading of the gospel. I see in persecution, five countries that are persecuting Christians majorly, are, according to the open door, are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan. 245 million Christians around the world suffer for what is called high levels of persecution. One in nine Christians suffer persecution. We don't experience it right now, guys. It is coming, okay? In 2019, 4,136 Christians were killed for their faith in one year. The same year, 2,625 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced to imprisonment. The same year, 1,266 churches and Christian buildings were attacked Persecution is rising, abandoning of the faith, apostasy. 
They say that 80% of the younger generation is, are leaving the church and never coming back. 80% of the Christians of the church, the kids that are growing up in our churches today are walking away and not coming back. They say that one in five churches after the pandemic are going to shut down permanently because many people are just deciding we don't need this. We don't need this. We would go along without church. We have other things that we have established our life, more habits that we can do. We're going to do that. We're not going to church. They abandon the faith. Many top Christian pastors that we see online are abandoning their faith. Many worship leaders, many book authors are walking away publicly from their faith and taking as many people as they can. Paul says in Timothy, he says, this is going to happen. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in a lot of times there will be a departure from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This is going to happen. But then he says there's going to be a betrayal, there's going to be a hatred, there's going to be a, it says actually in, in some translations it says there's going to be a, um, an easily offended. You will be easily offended. I mean, does that describe us? Cancel culture and like you can't do anything. Like everybody offends everybody. We hate each other. We're, we're divided over, literally divided over everything. We're divided over race. That's the dumbest thing to be divided over. Like, like the color of our skin, like that's like the, that, that is completely satanic. Why would we, we're divided over gender. We're divided as Christians over the color of the carpet. That's why we don't have carpet, okay? And, and here lately, the biggest one, and this is how easy we're, we're divided, we're divided over vaccination status. And listen, this is not a political statement. I am by no means making any kind of statement towards the vaccine or non-vaccine. I don't care. I honestly do not care. Don't tell me why or why not. You should or I should not take it. Don't care. I don't. I love you. And I care about you. This is not a political statement. But what this is, the government, honestly, uh, control, not the government in, who's in charge now, the government as a whole who is under the prince and the power of this age, has taken simple things like race, taken simple things like gender, taken simple things like vaccination status, and have used them to cause hatred and division amongst the people. You don't believe me? This has been going on for years. 1941, this was a propaganda poster that was put out by Joseph Goebbels, Hitler's, Hitler's propagandist. He said that the Jews are lice. They are the reason why typhus is spreading. They cause typhus. They're spreading it. They're killing people. Germans, you, the reason why you can't come out freely and the reason why you're afraid of being sick, the reason why you're afraid of this is because the Jews are causing typhus. They're lice. This is what came out of that White House this week. We are intended not to let Omicron disrupt work and school for the, for the vaccinated. You are doing, you've done the right thing, and we will get through this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourself, for your families, and the hospitals may, that you may soon overwhelm. The Jews, your lice, the unvaccinated, you guys are murdered. Once again, this is not about whether or not, this is not a political, this is the enemy, the prince and the power of the age using this to divide and conquer and to spread, to, to spread deceit, to spread venom, to spread hatred. And Jesus warned us in the end, this was going to be how it's going to be. That we will hate, we'll turn, we'll cause division, we'll be easily offended. And then he says there's going to be false prophets. False prophets. Now, now false prophets is interesting because 
they're everywhere. But what's interesting about what time we live in is that the internet has given them all voices. And so now you have false prophets standing up and saying, thus says the Lord, you know, I can't tell you how many people tagged me on false prophets about how Trump was going to win the election. I was like, you know, and then when they lost, it's because y'all didn't pray enough. I'm like, (laughs) false prophets out there, and not just with the, John just here recently, there's going to be increase of lawlessness, increase of wickedness. What are we doing in our world today? We're calling what God says is evil, good, and what God says is good, we're calling that evil. What God says is evil, we say is beautiful. He says the love of many will grow cold. Now, this is interesting. The word love is the word agape which means that Jesus is saying the brotherly love will grow cold, that we in this room, it's one thing for them to fight about the vaccine and fight about race and to fight about gender, but in the church, we're going to start dividing and we're going to stop loving. The church will stop being held together by the love of Jesus and we'll start being held together by, by programs and entertainment. And the love of many, the love of the brethren will grow cold. But then he says, but the gospel will spread. The top 10 translators of the Bible said that within the next 10 years, every language in the world will have the Bible in their own language. We're there, guys. Some of you guys are looking at me like, really? We're there. Now, here's the thing. I'm not gonna spend, we're we're coming to an end here, but I'm not gonna spend any time on this last phase because I don't believe we're gonna be here, okay? If you know your eschatology, you be, I believe in the rapture of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is going to come rapture the church. Now, if you don't believe that, that's fine. It's not, it's not the official stance of the church. Daniel disagrees with me. And so we, we you know, <laughs> we, we go back and forth, but it's not the official stance of the church. You're like, oh, I got to be a pre-tribber around here. No, you could be whatever you want. I'm just going to say, I'm going to be gone. Y'all can stay. Uh, but <laughs> during that season, Okay, if you are, if you are, we're all going to stay. Okay, I say pray for pre, prepare for post. So let's prepare. What's going to happen is the Antichrist, Jesus says, is going to come on the scene. And this is when he's going to establish a peace treaty with Israel. And then there's going to be a temple, new temple, the third temple. And then three and a half years is the great tribulation. He's going to break this peace treaty. Now, I want to say this. You know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on like breaking all this down. But we do need to know this. If I'm right in the pre-tribulation and, and, and we are going to be raptured, which I believe we are, that we're not looking for the Antichrist because because the Bible says that when the restrainer is removed, then the, the, the lawless one will be revealed. So I believe the church will be removed and then we'll see that. So we're not looking for the Antichrist, we're looking for Jesus. Now, if I'm right, then we're not gonna see the Antichrist come and break the peace treaty or set up the peace treaty. But what we should expect to see is the system that is being put into place because the Antichrist is not going to come from a clean slate and just walk in and create all this stuff. It's going to be a world system that is set up primary, set up for him to come in and say, okay, one world religion, one government, and there's a, be a, a, a means for one currency. It's already going to be established. We should be seeing this stuff starting to rise, this stuff starting to be established, that when he comes on, there should be a means for a third temple. We should see this, the Temple Institute right now in Israel. They just now finished. Everything is done. They came up with the oil, the anointing oil to anoint the priest. They have the red heifer bread. They already practiced. They did a mock sacrifice with one of the, the goats. They've done that. It was, it was 
A lot of people had issues with it, but they did that. They have all the holy furniture, everything in the temple. They have all the, the materials for the temple. They have all the priests ready. They have all the rabbis, everything set up for them. They say that they, once they get the green light, once this antichrist, once, and then many of them say that we're talking to the Messiah, the Mashiach. Many of the rabbis say we've been in communication with the Mashiach and he's going to reveal himself soon. The Mahdi of the Muslims, they're waiting for the same person. Many of them actually say the Mahdi. Did you see Prince Charles? In, the, in, in what was it, the G5 or the G, one of the summits? He's talking about the, the global economy and how coming together so we could cl- defeat climate change. And he's talking about we, we, we. And then he says, and he, he will have trillions of dollars at his disposal. Who's he? He will have trillions and trillions of dollars at his disposal. That's that. Go watch it. But that's going to happen. It's all ready. But then the world currency, I, I was watching this the other day. Many of you guys may have saw this. Can you turn the audio for the computer up, uh, Alan? I don't know if you missed a lot of that at Reddit, but it basically is saying that Right now, this, this company has been using it for years, and they've been using it in their own company, and they've been talking about going to where they could use it as their wallet so they could not lose. They're using it as their key, unlocking their phone, and they said that it could even be used as a, vaccine, a vaccination passport so that we no longer have to carry things around, that we could just securely, in our hands, wipe the chip, and then you're, all your vaccination, everything's set up. You guys, once again, this is not about vaccination. This is about them setting up this system that when the Antichrist comes, he is, all he's got to do is say, follow me and worship me and be a part of this system. That's all he's got to say. And there's already technology and a means to track everybody and make sure that we're all able to either worship him or not be able to buy ourselves. That's what we're starting to see take place. So the question now is, what phase are we in? Because we're close. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I, maybe God has given me dream after dream of the rapture, given me dream after dream of a second coming, dream after dream of things that are biblical. But I believe that Jesus is coming back so quickly. And, and even if he's not, here's the thing, even if he's not, even if we have a thousand years, you don't know when you will face your king one day. You don't know when you're going to face the bridegroom. And are we ready? What we're going to see for the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through these parables, more parables about the second coming of Jesus. And it's all about being prepared. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what does it mean to be prepared? The first thing that I want you to take away today to be prepared is not doing anything other than resting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you are not in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are not ready. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how many things you've done. I don't care how awesome you are, how much you have given to this church or any other ministry. I don't care. If you are not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the King will say, depart from me. I never knew you. So that's the first thing we need to be ready. But the signs are here. As Christians, we should be looking and waiting and longing. It's happening. But right now, I pray that this week, as we are, we're preparing for the coming of the, of the sun, that we're starting to see and our eyes are starting to open and being ready and ready and prepared. 